0: This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. With that being said, we're going to open our Bibles now to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we actually have some that we'll provide for you. You can just shoot your hand up. We'll get. Uh, a copy of God's Word into your hand. We want to make sure that everyone has their own copy of their Bible. Uh, and so again, feel, don't feel, feel free to put your hand up. Um, the reason that we hand out Bibles is to make sure that you can, can see it for yourselves because I'm going to talk about some things today that are so good. I want to make sure you know I'm not making it up, uh, but it is actually in God's Word. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, so just open up the very first pages. Um, you can find chapter 11 by looking for the big number 11. We're going to read in verse 31, and then read down through chapter 12, verse 3. We're in a series right now where we've been looking at several key moments in biblical history that lead up to the moment that we're celebrating during this Christmas season, the moment of Jesus' birth. See, Jesus' story doesn't start with his birth. It actually starts long before it. And if we want to know who Jesus truly is, and in knowing him, if you want to find the life in him that he promises to us, then we have to know his story. We have to know a lot more about his story than just a baby in a manger. We need to know the history that led up to that climactic moment when God came to be with us in Christ. So let's go ahead and turn our attention to Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 31. Again, I'm going to read through Chapter 12, verse 3. I'm reading in the English Standard Version. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. When they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'll make you a great nation. And I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Would you bow with me now in a word of prayer that God bless the preaching of his word. God, I pray that you would bring this moment of history alive to our hearts, that we would see the great things that are happening here that you want us to see, that our hearts might be made glad in Jesus. Lord, I pray that by the end of our time today, we would know you better, we would love you more, we would have a deeper joy that can only be found in you. Lord, I pray that you would be with me as I have a need for you and be with each person listening as we all have a need for you, Lord God. May we hear what you have to say for the good of our souls and the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. I'm not sure if you're like me, but I have a list of places that I boycott. Um, not as any kind of political statement or anything like that, but because they did me wrong, and so fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame, like I'm not going to be fooled twice. And so I, I, I have a list. Um, U-Haul is one of those places. I got a call. Actually, didn't even get a call. I got an email, 10 p.m., saying that my reservation that I'd made for the next morning at 8 a.m. was no longer available. I called U-Haul and said, um, I had a reservation. How is my reservation no longer available. Like, oh, we don't you know, know what to tell you. We just we don't have a vehicle available for you. I'm like, well, that's why I made a reservation so that it would be available. Um, and I'm just thinking of that Seinfeld episode. You know, it's like anyone could take a reservation. Take, like, take, take, take. It's the holding of the reservation that really matters, right? I'm like, ah, oh, sorry, there's nothing we can do. And I said, okay, well, goodbye, U-Haul. Hello, Penske, right? Um, I, uh, I, I, I no longer will use uh, Delta Airlines. They've lost my luggage twice. I don't know who like, is really excited about my shirts, but someone in that airline, you're like, just, oh man, let's take this suitcase for whatever reason, right? And, uh, and so I no longer will fly Delta. And sadly, I no longer shop at REI. Oh, I had, like two gas, wow. <laughs> I did not even know anyone would know what REI is. I'm actually really happy about that. REI is an outdoor sports store and it's known really as the leader uh, in the industry. You can get everything there from backpacks to tents to sleeping bags to boots to fishing gear. Uh, It's like a mecca for people who love to be outdoors in nature and I love to be outdoors in nature. REI used to be famous for having a lifetime guarantee for all their products. They were so committed to what they sold that if you brought it back, For whatever reason, it didn't matter why, and it didn't matter when, they take it back and give you your money back, no questions asked. So about 12 years ago, I bought a pair of really nice hiking boots. I bought them with the understanding that I could take them back if I wasn't really gonna be able to use them. I'm like, hey, I'm not really sure if I'm gonna use these or not, but I was starting to get back into hiking a little bit, so I'm like, let me spend more money than I normally would, and uh, and if I get my money's worth, great. If I don't get my money's worth, well, I got a lifetime guarantee. I can take these back, no questions asked. However, the year was 2013. And if that means anything to you, it probably doesn't. But for those of you who shop at REI, you know that that was the year they changed their policy from a lifetime guarantee to a one-year guarantee. And so I came back two years later, and they said, sorry, we no longer do that. It had ended up costing them too much to keep taking these products back. And so because it cost them too much, they changed their terms and Conditions And so, if you'd like to buy a pair of really nice hiking boots, I got one, I'd love to sell you. Um, no, I end up giving them away to a friend. But the reality is, they made a promise, and they changed the terms of that promise. In our passage today, we see God making some pretty incredible promises to Abram. And Abram, because of these promises, is actually going to go end, end up to having his name changed to Abraham. You might be a little more familiar with that name means father of multitudes. What we're going to see today is that these promises that God made to Abraham are a major part of the story of Jesus. And they have a direct application to us. And these promises come guaranteed. Guaranteed by the grace of God. And the good news is that God never changes the terms and conditions of his grace. And so we can live with confidence. We can bank our whole lives on the guarantee that God gives us. And so here's really the big idea for today. We are called by this pastor to live by faith in the promises of God because they are guaranteed by the grace of God in Jesus. We can live by faith in the promises of God because they are guaranteed by the grace of God in Jesus. I've tell this morning's sermon, the grace guarantee. The grace guarantee. And I want to kind of split our study into two Two parts. I want to start by going over the promises, and we'll spend most of our time there, and then we're going to see the grace that is given. First, the promises that have been made. Promises made. God takes this man, Abram, and I'm probably going to go back and forth between Abram and Abraham, just no, I'm talking about the same guy. Um, but he, he takes a man named Abram, and he makes really three major promises to him. First, he says he's going to make him to a great nation. And so that's the first promise it's a promise of greatness. Promise of greatness. This nation would end up becoming the nation of Israel. Now, there were many other nations that looked greater than Israel on paper. Many other nations had a larger land area. They were bigger. Many other nations had more natural resources. Many other nations had greater wealth and bigger armies. Israel, actually, in the ancient world, was one of the smallest, poorest, and weakest. And yet God says they are great. Why? Why? Not because of what they had, but because of who they had. They had him. The living God was in their midst. They had a relationship with the one true God. That's what he is, call- is promising Abram here. They had a relationship with the one true God. And in that relationship, there is greatness to be found. I think in each of us, there can be a longing for greatness, can't there? We want to feel like we matter. We want to feel like our lives Count for something. We have a desire for some sense of value, of meaning, of worth, of greatness. And we can go looking for that in all kinds of different places, can't we? We can go looking for that in other people's affirmation. If this person thinks I'm great, then I truly must be great. We can go looking for it in success. If I'm able to accomplish this, then thou will prove that I'm really great. We can look for it in the security of money. If I just have this much saved, or if I have this much cash flow, if I invest rightly here, then I'll be great. We, we can look for greatness in doing good to others. If I just do enough good things, people will think I'm great. Parents can look for it in their kids. If they're happy, I'm happy. They're my whole world. I'm great if they're great. To bear my soul a little bit, a struggle for me can be i, I I very much want people to think that I'm a good pastor. If people think that I'm a good, kind, caring pastor, then that actually means that I'm great in some kind of way. We can all strive for greatness in so many different ways. But here's the truth. There's only one way to be truly great, and that is to have a relationship with the great God. There's only one way to truly be great, and that's to have a relationship with the great God. Everything else in life pales in comparison to him. And so, anything else that we're striving for that we think will make us great, anything else that is not Him, will therefore never satisfy us in a way that only He can. I think Jim Carrey, yes, that that Jim Carrey, the comedian, he's gone off the rails a little bit, uh, I think it's safe to say. But he did say this a few years ago, and I thought it was actually really insightful. He said, I wish that every person would achieve their wildest dreams. So they can realize those dreams mean nothing. He's had success. He's got a ton of money. He has all the security that comes with fame and financial gain. He even has a loving family. He has all of it. And he's saying it's not enough. Because there's only one who is enough. And that's God. Our craving for greatness is actually something God has created in our souls to give us a hunger that can only be satisfied by him. Being with God, having a relation with him, friends, that's the way to true greatness. But our problem is that we can pursue so many other paths. We have so many things that we substitute for him, so many counterfeit gods. What do you think you need in your life to be truly happy? If I had this, then I'd be really happy. What do you think gives your life value And meaning, if I'm able to accomplish this or do this, or if this person says this, then I'll have greatness. What what are you seeking greatness from? Friends, Abraham's greatness did not come from what he had, but who he had. And what we celebrate this Christmas season is the one who has come to give us a relationship with God. Just as God came to be in Israel's midst, so Jesus came to be in all of our midst. His name is what? Emmanuel, God with us. And we can know true greatness, which isn't going to come through any material things in this world, any even relational things in this world. The True greatness comes from knowing the great one, God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. To know Jesus is to know life. And greatness that we crave, it comes from being with him, the great God. That's the first promise. The second promise is blessing. He says, I will bless you. Now, what's interesting is that this word blessed comes from a derivative of the Hebrew word for kneel. And so here's what this is saying. The God of the universe, the all-glorious, all-powerful, transcendent king of the cosmos. He's saying to Abram, I'm going to kneel, not to you. God never stops being God. He doesn't kneel to anyone. But he's telling Abram, I'm going to kneel for you. Literally, what he is, this guy is saying is saying, I'm going to bend down from heaven to the dust of earth and do so for the good of you. And this blessing of Abraham comes into clearer view when we get to the New Testament. And we see Jesus teach about what the true blessing of Abraham was. See, God's blessing of Abraham was not as many goats, his wealth, his large family. No, here's what Jesus said that God's blessing of Abraham was. John chapter 8, verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. This is an incredibly important verse. We can't understand anything in the Old Testament without understanding what Jesus is saying here. That word glad is a derivative of the word for blessing. To be blessed means to have your soul be made glad. And so, what Jesus is saying here is that God gave the blessing to Abraham of being able to look forward. To the coming of Christ. Abraham saw Jesus coming. He saw it and he was blessed by it. His soul was glad in it. This is saying that Abraham was able to look forward with faith and be blessed by the salvation that comes only by faith. We see in Genesis chapter 15. That Abraham says it puts his faith in God and it is counted to him then as righteousness. Actually from that moment on in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham becomes the person throughout the Bible, who's pointed to as the great example of faith. In the book of Romans, when Paul's writing about salvation by faith, he, he doesn't use the great prophet Moses as an example. He doesn't use the great military leader, Joshua, or even the great King David. He bypasses all those people and takes a whole chapter to talk about Abraham and his faith. In Galatians chapter, uh, really chapters 3 and 4, that book only has six chapters. Paul takes two of them to talk about Abraham and his faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, what's known as the great hall of faith, and the writer of Hebrews just lists person after person of faith, most of those verses in that chapter are devoted to Abraham and his faith. Abraham is the paramount example of what it means to put faith in God and therefore be saved by faith. Here's what we need to understand. Salvation by faith is not a New Testament idea. That's what we see all the way back here in Genesis chapter 12. The people of the Old Testament were saved by looking forward with faith to the Messiah to come. And here we are after the coming of Jesus the Messiah, and we look back with faith to the Messiah who has come. They look forward, we look back, and we all meet at the cross where Jesus came to be our Messiah, our Savior, and give his life for our life of sin. Just this past week, we were going through our morning family devotions and we came to a section of scripture in second corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 which says this for our sake god made jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in jesus we might become the righteousness of god i tried to explain it to my kids this way at the cross a tremendous trade took place you know how when you get your Halloween candy, you trade it, trade what you don't like to get what you do want, right? You take something and you give it so you can get what the other person has. When Jesus came and he traded with us, he took our sin, not because we'd offered him anything good in return. We had nothing good to actually offer him. But he took our sin. He took our faults, our flaws, our failures, our worst moments, our deepest, most shameful deeds. Jesus took that. And he swallowed it down. And just as bad food makes you sick, our sin made Jesus sick. So sick that he died. He died because he took from us what should have been experienced by us. He died for us. But because there is more saving power in Jesus then there is sin in us. He didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead, but he raised to life so that now the full trade can go through. He has taken our sin, and now his resurrected, righteous life, that gets given to us. See, when we place our faith in Jesus, we trade our sin for his righteousness. We trade our guilt for his forgiveness. We trade our shame for his love, our regrets for his redemption, our ashes for his beauty. And Abraham looked forward with faith to the day when Jesus would come and this tremendous trade would take place. And we can look back and praise God that Jesus has come and that trade has taken place. And if we put our faith in Christ, that trade can be applied to us. And I recognize every time that I'm preaching, there are always people here who have yet to put their faith in Christ or they're listening online. And friend, I just want to appeal to you today. You can live today with what you deserve or you can trade that for what Christ has earned for you through his cross. Make that trade, friends. Put your faith in Jesus. There is life to be found in him. We can be blessed by knowing the salvation that comes by faith in Christ. And so there is greatness. There is blessing. Third promise, there is purpose. There is purpose. God blesses Abraham, making his salvation by faith known to Abraham. But then notice that that was not just for Abraham. Abraham is blessed so that he can then go be a blessing. He says, I'll bless you and make your name great, verse 2, so that you will be a blessing. He says, I'll bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will bless curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed and so when God speaks about those who bless Abraham he is saying these are the people who are going to respond to the blessing that you speak about again that word blessing means to have your soul be made glad and so it's the idea that God wanted Abraham to go and tell others about the blessing of salvation by faith And if they received Abraham's message, if his message made their souls glad, if they were blessed by him, if they bought in, then they would receive Abraham's blessing. And if they rejected that, then they would then remain under what we saw last week. They remain under the curse that exists in this world. And so what this is telling us is this blessing of Abraham is not just an ethnic designation. It's a spiritual opportunity for anyone who wants to place their faith in Abraham's God. When it says, I'll make you a blessing to the nations, that's not just talking about geography. The word nations there is the, is the word ethnos. It means peoples. Saying this blessing is for all peoples. This is an inclusive salvation. No one is left out. No one is passed over. No one is not good enough. This is a blessing for all peoples, for anyone willing to receive it. And so the promise that God is giving here to Abraham to be a blessing to others is really a commission. God is sending Abraham into the world to make God known. The prophet Isaiah said that this was the purpose of Israel, these people who came from Abraham. He says in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, I'll make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's message of salvation is for anyone, and so he wants everyone to know it. And God could have spread his message by writing it in the stars. He could have spread it by speaking audibly from heaven. But instead, he has raised up a people to reach a people. And Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so whether you are an Israelite by birth or not, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are part of the people of God, and being part of God's people gives you God's purpose. Jesus is the light of the world, and we're to tell people about his light. You are to be a light to the world by sharing about Jesus, who is the light of the world. And this purpose... It's not something nice that hopefully we can get to if we, you know, get out of here at a good time, right? Hopefully we can fit it in here or there. Hopefully if I'm, uh, you know, the stars line perfectly, then I'll get to it when I can. No, friends, here's what you need to understand. He says, I'll bless those who bless you, and him who honors you, I will curse. Friends, in this message, there's blessing and cursing. You hold a responsibility for people's blessings and cursings in your hand. Ultimately, God is the one who saves. We sow the seeds of salvation by sharing the gospel, but God has to make faith grow in people's hearts. But how does God make faith grow? It's through us sowing seeds. And we can't use God's sovereignty over salvation as a cop-out to not be faithful to what God's called us to do, which is to make his salvation known. Romans chapter 10 tells us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I love that, everyone. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I read that verse to someone once, and they're like, oh, good, that doesn't apply to me. I'm not a preacher. It makes me feel a lot better. Well, actually, not so fast. Acts chapter 8 says that when the church was scattered, when they left being together and they scattered to various places, watch what Acts chapter 8 says. This is about the normal, everyday person in the church. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's everyone. Everyone's a preacher. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a preacher, supposed to be a preacher of Jesus. Preaching isn't just what I'm doing right now. To preach means to share the good news. And if you put your faith in Jesus, then God has a purpose for you to share that faith with someone else. He doesn't want you just to enjoy the blessing of salvation, to just enjoy the blessing of Jesus' victory over sin, Satan, and death. He wants you to share that good news, that gospel of what he's done. It might not be on a stage like this, but it should be on your block. It should be with your coworkers or your classmates or your friends. God has not blessed you with salvation just for you. He wants to use you to be a blessing to others. Don't hoard his blessing. Be generous with it by sharing it. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you said to someone, can I share my story with you and talk to them about Jesus? When was the last time you invited someone to church so they could hear the good news? I recognize as soon as I ask those questions, there's a feeling of guilt that we can start to feel, right? And like, I'll put myself on that list. I can start to feel guilty. Because let's be honest, it can be very easy to get so comfortable enjoying God's blessings and not sharing them. Be so comfortable to say, well, I got Jesus. I know I'm loved to him. I know I'm good with him. So easy just to enjoy God's blessings and forget that there are people all around us who are lost and dying without him and don't even know it. So let me get real practical here just for a minute. I think we feel guilty when we just live like this is an idea of something I should do, but we don't actually put into practice. And so it's like I should do it, but I feel guilty, and so then I don't do it, and then I don't do it, and I feel good. It's just a cycle that breeds. And so how do we break a cycle? We take a step. How do you break a cycle? You take a step. So here's what I want to ask you to consider doing. Uh, you don't have to do this. This is this is just Jeff. This is not ju- thus saith the Lord. So, uh, but I want you to invite you to consider this, and I want to you can you can hold me accountable. This is something that I want to do this week. I want you to think about one person. I want you to pray for them each day this week. Think about one person in your life who does not know Jesus. And pray for them each day this week. And pray for yourself that God would give you an opportunity to share with the good news of Jesus with them. Pray for them and pray for yourself that God would give you an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with them. And try to do that this week. Try to do that this week. Say, so it Maybe it's like someone you've known for a while and you're like, you know what? I've known you for a while. I've never actually shared with you the most important thing in my life. It's the Christmas season. Can I just share with you about what Jesus means to me? Is that okay? You can just say something like that. Maybe you can start with a question. Hey, Christmas season, what does Christmas mean to you? That enters into a spiritual conversation that then you can tell about what Christmas means to you and what you know about Jesus, right? Maybe it's by sharing your story. Maybe it's by asking a question. I'm not sure how God's going to lead you, but I just want to encourage you to pray and be open to how you might be led. What would it look like if every single person in the church did that this week? I think I would do some powerful things. I don't say that, that we're going to see a bunch of salvations, but I do say this. That the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so when we share it, God does powerful things. And it might happen in a moment, or maybe it's a story like we heard from Larry's today. And it's not something, think, think about that. He had someone share with him in 1980. I don't even know if that person's still alive. probably shouldn't ask. But like, he's getting baptized today. 30 years later. Some people's stories take 30 years. Maybe there's a story this week that God wants to start that it's not going to come to completion until 30 years from now, but it's going to start this coming week. Are you willing to be part of someone's story in that way? God has a purpose for us. And if we're going to walk in God's purpose, then we need to have a plan. If something just stays like a good idea of something we should do, then we'll probably never do it. I'll never do it. If I don't have a plan and like someone to hold me accountable to it, it's not going to happen so I want to encourage you to think about how you can make a plan um, and, and what would it look like to walk in God's purpose for you this week. God has made a promise, friends, to make us great by being with us. He's made a promise to give us a blessing, the blessing of salvation by faith in Jesus. And he's made a promise to give us a purpose, the purpose of making his salvation known. Three great promises. But here's where my inner prosecuting attorney comes in. Does anyone else have an inner prosecuting attorney? Right? That voice that just comes at you and tells you why none of what you just heard actually applies to you. And, uh, you know, you're you're not good enough. Uh, Here, let me bring up all the bad things that you've done. I'm not trying to hate on actual prosecutors, they, you know, play an important part in our society. I'm just saying I don't need one in my head, but he's there. He's there. And so I hear these promises, and my prosecutor comes out and is like, that's great, but these promises aren't for you. God doesn't really want to be with you. He's so tired of having to put up with you. Salvation by faith? (laughs) Look at how faithless you are. You want to live on purpose? Well, that's a failure. It's going to be another week where you actually don't do anything. Like, that's how I wake up on Monday morning. And that's why I'm so grateful that these promises of God come with a guarantee of grace from God. So let's look at The second point here, and this is going to be much faster, but it is certainly so much more even important. The grace guarantee. This this is more important, not because all God's words are equally important, but really without this guarantee, God can say whatever he wants. It's the guarantee of God that makes the promises of God have weight and meaning in our lives. And so I just want to ask you to consider this. What was Abram doing before God made these promises to him? The reason I started up in verse 31. What, What was he doing? We aren't told anything other than he was living in the land of Haran, which was in the region of Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, in Joshua chapter 24, he talks about how Abraham's family were a bunch of idol worshipers. And based on archaeological digs, it seems that what people in the land of uh, uh, Chaldean, what they worshiped was the moon as their god. And a major part of their worship of the moon was actually making human sacrifices. And so many of their temples have been dug up and there are bones scattered throughout of humans who have been sacrificed. So this is who we see Abraham is. He is a moon-worshipping, potentially human-sacrificing pagan. What does he have to commend himself to God? What does he have to make him worthy of these incredible promises that God makes to him? What does he have? Nothing. Nothing. And not just nothing in that he's a blank slate. No, he has demerits before God. Like, we don't know if Abram personally did any human sacrifices or not, but he was part of the people who did. So I want you to think right now about the most offensive group you can think of. KKK. Al-Qaeda. Nazis. Can God save someone from amongst those people? Can God save a terrorist? Genesis chapter 12 says, absolutely. Absolutely. Abraham had nothing to offer God except for his sin against God, but God... But God chose to rescue him and to bless him and to set his affections upon him. God took someone who was far off from him and made him into the greatest example of faith given in the Bible. What do you call that? You call that grace, friends. Pastor Harry Ironside says it this way. Grace is the very opposite of merit. Grace is not only undeserved favor, but it is favor shown to the one who has deserved the very opposite. The promises that God made to Abram, friends, and that he kept and fulfilled in Jesus, they're all guaranteed by God's grace, meaning they come to us not because we're good enough to earn them, not because we deserve them, but because God is willing to go into the land of Ur. He is willing to go into people who are far off from him, who have done nothing to merit anything from him, and he's not scared to come into our mess because he has a message of grace. And while REI was unwilling to keep their guarantee because it cost them too much, for God to give us grace, it would cost Him a lot it would cost him his son. But he is the God who, Romans 8.32 tells us, is the one who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God's grace cost him everything. But he was willing to pay it, because that's how much he, Friend, you need to hear this today. If you placed your faith in Jesus, God doesn't just have a little bit of grace for you. He didn't spare his own son for you. He, he, he's got so much grace for you that, that when it came between choosing to be forever with his eternal son in whom his soul delighted, when it was love for Jesus or killing Jesus on the cross for you, God has so much grace for you that he did not spare his own son. But he gave him up for you. Because that's the gracious nature of our God. He doesn't have a little bit of grace. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according, according to the, the riches of his grace. Friends, God has unsearchable riches of grace for you in Jesus Christ. The depths of the oceans have yet to be fully discovered, but there is a bottom there somewhere. There is no bottom to God's riches of grace for you in Jesus. The outer limits of the universe have not yet been measured, but there are limits there somewhere. There's no limits to God's grace to you in Jesus. God's grace is as infinite as he is. So God promises, when he promises you, friend, to always be with you, his grace guarantees that promise that there's nothing you can do to separate yourself from his love. When God promises the blessing of salvation to you, his grace guarantees that he will keep that promise and you will not be lost. As God promises that he will use you for his purposes. The same grace that can take Abram from Ur and turn him into Abraham, the bringer of blessing to the nations. That's the same grace that God has for you. You might have made a mess of things, but God can take your mess and turn it into a message of grace. And so listen, family, I want you to hear me on this. God has made great promises to be with you, to bless you with salvation, and to use you for his purposes, and he will keep those promises because they are backed by his boundless endless limitless grace in Jesus so friend live by faith in the promises of God because they are guaranteed to you by the grace of God in Jesus live by faith for what is truly great don't sell out church don't sell out church for fake greatness for chasing things other than being with God no live by faith that he is all the greatness that you could ever leave you could ever need. Give yourself to pursuing a relationship with him as your highest priority. Live by faith in the salvation that Jesus has won for you. Don't doubt that you're forgiven. Don't doubt that you're welcomed, but live by faith that in Jesus you are forgiven, loved, cherished, and welcomed forever as God's beloved child. And live by faith that God can use you. Stop staying on the sidelines, thinking that other people who are more qualified Or someone God's going to use. Let's be really clear. God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies those he calls. By his grace. And so step out from the sidelines. And step into his game. Because God has purposes for you. And they're not all about you having it all together. God has purposes for you to be a broken person. Who in your brokenness can share with others. about How Jesus can hold anyone together. Friend, when your inner prosecuting attorney starts to speak up, tell him to sit down and shut up. The promises that we see here, the Abrahamic promises, they're all true in Jesus and guaranteed by his unsearchable riches of grace. And he'll never change the terms and conditions. He always has grace for you, friends. So live by faith in the promises that God has made to you that are guaranteed by God's grace to you in Jesus.